Last week, Betty began a series on stewardship. And stewardship covers many things for your life and mine. And today, I want to talk about our time. All right, teenagers, I'm talking to you. I think you're some of the most ta- uh, time-challenged people in the world. I say that because you have many priorities, many things dragging at you. And if you don't fix it now or understand it now, you won't. And when you get older, you're going to look like a lot of the people sitting around you who are no longer teenagers. Time is your greatest and most powerful resource on this world. And it is the greatest gift God has ever given any of us. One second of time cannot be bought, cannot be traded. It is a gift from God. It is your greatest gift. And for many of us, it is our most squandered gift on the planet. You uh, have been entrusted. Uh, Betty shared with you that basically stewardship is uh, we have been put in charge of God's assets, God's resources. Your life is a resource God created with purpose and meaning. And you have put been put in charge of it. You've been entrusted with it. You've been empowered with it. Stewardship is just that. You have been entrusted with everything your life is made up of. And so that puts great expectation on you and I. Great expectation on everything that you are. Everything that you have the potential of. All right, teens, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to call you down if you can't focus. Adults, I'm going to call you down if you can't focus. We are slaves set free. That's what we are. We are slaves set free. That's what born again means. It means that we're born into a new life, a life in Jesus Christ that is not slavery. You see, a slave is not capable of using their time the way they want to. A slave has no assets or resources that they can use to their own good. Back when slavery was embraced in this country, black people who were brilliant could not become doctors. They could not become politicians. They could not reach their potential in this country, in their life, in their time. They were prevented. Why? Because they were slaves. And no matter how smart they were, no matter how capable they were, how brilliant they were, how talented they were, in the beginning of baseball, there were no blacks. There were no Latins. All of that potential was lost in eternity. Can you imagine a basketball team without a black man? What a waste. I'm sorry. I'm not racist. But if you give me an all-black team, all-white team, I don't even care who you pick, I'll take the black team and beat you. There are movies about this. There are movies about teams that finally crossed the line and allowed blacks on their basketball teams. They allowed blacks on their football teams. They allowed blacks in the Air Force. If you watch the movie, the Tuskegee Airmen, the finest fighter squadron that ever existed, they were all black. 
and they escorted bombers into battle. And do you know they never lost a bomber they were escorting? No other squadron has ever been able to say that. They gave them inferior equipment and they gave them harder details and they performed above and beyond everybody else. And then when these bomber squadrons that were white, they figured it out and they started requesting the black squadron. That's the potential we squander so easily. Potential that we take too lightly. That's your potential and my potential. And that was potential that was created and endorsed by God for you and I for this time in this world. And if your potential is not affecting and influencing this world, then it is being squandered on some level. Your time here matters. Every minute, every second is a gift. Every second you spend doubting God is seconds that are squandered. We are now a people. You are a son. You are a daughter. We are a community that have been set free to fully capitalize on the full potential of everything you are made of, all the substance God has created in you. And in me. That time, that's a gift. Our time and our opportunities. How many opportunities do we miss in time? Opportunities to be kind, to be gracious, to show love, to be patient or merciful with an enemy or an idiot. We squander purpose. The very purpose for which we exist. That purpose that can now be realized because Jesus Christ sets you free. And even if Satan and the, and the powers of man put you in a cell that's four foot by four foot, God will make a way that your purpose can be realized. There is no power. We sang it on here in this song. No power in hell that can come against the purpose of you. How many of you have seen the movie like something the Lord made? You should rent the movie. It's about a man named Vivian. How would you like to be a man named Vivian? How would you like to be a black man named Vivian? How would you like to be a black man named Vivian in the 30s and 40s in the United States? How would you like to be a black man named Vivian in the 30s and 40s of the United States who wanted to be a doctor? Everything came against this man. Watch the movie. It's a true story. A 
I would love to give you the punchline, but I'm going to make you watch the movie. Your purpose, your gifts, your talents. They're all in you for a season, a time. God wants to use them. He has a purpose and a plan for your talents and your gifts. Also your resources. God is serious about the resources he puts in your, in your hand, in your capabilities. You are now a walking persona of the reality of God that is capable of moving and acting in the purpose of God, in the full power of your talents, your gifts, and your resources, fully exploiting the time on earth. Today I want to talk about time. You were given time. I was given time. I, uh, we have a friend, Melinda and I, he wrote the book, Prayer's a Place, some of you have read. He's now like 67. He just started planting another church. He hasn't figured out he's supposed to retire. He's written like five books, good books. He's successful in lots of ways. What is he doing? I mean, planting a church is hard. It's humbling. It's humiliating. He's my hero. He's still alive. He's still on the clock. He's breathing. God's put air in his lungs, and it's producing the fruit of the kingdom. Psalm 139, 16. This is David speaking. Your eyes saw my unformed body all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Your days are written out. You have been given some days. You've been given some days. There are people facing the end of their life right now. They would trade you everything they know for a day. For a week. But your days are numbered. My days are numbered. I'm 57. I feel 28. I act 14. I have no concept of dying. I've had cancer and a heart attack. I still don't have any concept of dying. When I fill out those forms and they say, have you had a heart attack or cancer? I, I don't mark it yes, because I forgot. And I have to go back and fill it in honestly. I'm not in denial. It's just, it's not important to me. Time is. So I get yelled at for standing up instead of sitting down when my leg is hurting. Because I forget. Thank you. So I want to revisit a story. It's a story of missed opportunity. We're going to look at it a little different than we've looked at it in the past. Matthew 25, verses 14 through 28. We're going we're to truncate some of it. This is in the NIV. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. 
To one he gives, he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags of gold, to another one bag, each according to his ability. And then he went on a journey. He entrusted. He gave them resources, assets. They now had opportunity. The man who had received five bags of gold went out at once, put his money to work, and gained five bags more. Also the one who, who uh, with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. When the owner came back, and and... Here's what he found out. Verse 20. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. He had made five bags more. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said. Notice he doesn't say you entrusted me. I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed, so I was afraid. And went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what, you, what belongs to you. I want us to look at what has just happened here. This is a story that Jesus was giving. And he was talking about what we are entrusted with. You see, the measure might be different for all of us. I mean, maybe you got one bag and you got ten and I got two. But I have been entrusted with what God and God only can give. There are some that are more talented than me, a lot more talented. Some that are more capable, some are smarter. Some are better at gathering, better at preaching, better at teaching, better looking, better health. Should I leave the healing to them? Should I leave the teaching to them? Should you? Should you leave the preaching to others? Should you leave it to me? Should you leave teaching to others? Should you leave showing kindness to others? Should you leave loving your enemies to others, others who are more wired for that? Should you leave giving to others? Should you put off investing any or all of your time or, or any of your time at all to the things of God and leave that to others who seem to have more time to do that? Do 
Do you leave the heavy lifting to others who seem more capable to you? Do you diminish and discount your own potential as one who carries the very power and potential of God himself? Are you waiting for a better time? Another time? Is the great and powerful potential of your very existence. Does it find its purpose and value and why God has put you here? You see, for this person, the values of his or her life their talents, their gifts, their opportunities, their resources, their time produce nothing. They produce nothing. You see, this is not representing a moment or an investment. This is representing your life and my life. It is possible to live our life and produce nothing. And at the end of our days, instead of producing the things of potential, the things of life, we give back to God exactly what he gave to us. We say, God, I lived a life. I used those things to live the life. And now here is giving back to you what you gave to me when I was born. We read in the message, verses 26 and 27 of that passage, it sounds like this. The master was furious. That's a terrible way to live. This person, we don't see any big sin in this person's life that they were committing adultery, they were robbing, they were stealing, they weren't killing people, wasn't rape and pillage, we don't see corruption. What was the great crime of this servant? It's that they took the talent and the giftings and all those things that the father had given him and he buried it in the ground and did nothing. That was his great crime. We don't think that way, do we? We don't see the urgency of a day or a moment. Missed opportunities. You see, it's how God measures life. He won't measure it in how many cars I had, how many books I wrote, how many books I read. He won't measure it in how many goals I succeeded at. He won't measure it in those things. God will measure it in, in the things and the purpose and the calling and the reality of the kingdom. That's how he's going to measure me at the end of the day. 
it'll be measured from the substance for which I was born with. The world doesn't measure you that way. It will look at how much money you made and how many children you have and, you know, did your children turn out in society's idea worth anything? Do you have letters after your name? Not like felon, but like PhD and MD or... I'm proud to say I have a group that that statement matters. This is it. This is your time. There is no other time. You are you. You're all you have to work with. But if you think you have less skill, less capability, or less calling than I do, or anybody else in this place, you are very deceived. You come with all the purpose and the power and the greatness of God. That's what you come with. That's the miracle of God. So that our children, our teens, our old people, our people who are in wheelchairs, our people who maybe are, are mentally challenged, our shy people, our loud, obnoxious people, that all of them carry the wonderful and amazing reality of Jesus in this time. I have been at this church 10 years. Ten years. There's people at the church been here longer than I have. We are a people of time. In the next 10, I want to look very different than the last 10. Your potential is serious. And the reason is, it's, it's a part of God himself. Your potential is God himself. cannot be understated. Life will challenge your charge. It will challenge your God reality. Life will challenge it. Life is going to be one of your greatest difficulties in life. Really. Reality will be your hardest reality. When I used to teach flying, I'd have my students come out three days a week. I had a busy schedule. I had a lot of students, a lot of people that wanted to be my students. I told my students, you want to fly with me? You're here three days a week. Three days a week. And if you can't do that, then you need to find another place to fly because 
My job was to produce commercial airline pilots, good ones. Fly three days a week. Now, that may not sound like a lot to you. That is a lot of time. Let me tell you what else it is. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. Let me put it in a different way. I'm going to require 15 hours a week and $1,000 a week. Or you need to find somewhere else. That makes you swallow harder, doesn't it? Sounds different than three, doesn't it? Depends. If you want to fly really well, be safe, be capable, a thousand bucks a week and a bunch of time. <clears throat> I told them every day you will have a reason to quit, a, a legitimate reason. Your car payment is due. It's been foggy for nine days straight. You can't even remember, you know, which way to turn the airplane. I mean, everything is frustrating. You show up, the plane is broken. You show up, we get in the airplane, and the radio doesn't work. Every day, there is a legitimate reason to say, I, this is dumb. You will feel that way when you follow Jesus because it will be contrary to what the world tries to form you into. You see, time gets forfeited to the urgent, leaving nothing for what's important. I, I kind of think of it this way. The way we live delays and diminishes our own ability to play. Life is the greatest challenge you will have to living a life in Christ. Because life, you have to do it, don't you? And I think we often feel like I can have a family, I can have a career, I can be a God person, or I can have like hobbies and fun and stuff like that but I can't do all of them. I can be a hunter and a fisher and a camper. I can be a God person. I can be a family man, family woman, or I can be a career person. And I might be able to do three quarters of this or three quarters of this one, but, you know, it's me. This is, this is really where I'm at, where I'm going. Jeremiah 29, 11. God says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. So your reality is you live, at least right now, in 2015. You have your abilities, your skills, your brains, your time, your money, your job, your unemployment, your career, your schoolwork, your doubts, your fears, 
your bow legs, your bald head, whatever you got. That's today. That's what you have. And you will have competing priorities for everything you got the rest of your life. You will have competing priorities. You will have hobby interests, passion interests, love interests. You will have some hate interests. Some of you might want to save the whales or the trees. You might have a lot of passions, a lot of ideas, a lot of understanding. Some of you might want to just get away with somebody you love and read books. You know, you might, you, we have conflicting pieces. That's your reality. And God knows that. And it's in that light, he says, I want to speak into that, over that, through that and above that and tell you I have plans for you. You great deer hunter, I have plans for you. You guy that likes to fly airplanes and spend all your money driving around the sky, I have plans for you. You who all you would love to do in your life is have children, I have plans for you. You who want to plant a church, he says to that person especially, I have plans for you, and it's probably different than what you're thinking. He has plans for your life. Are you interested? And in those plans, he is able to prosper you. And he is able to help you walk out your passions, your loves, your dreams. I am a man of passions. I am. Um, I, I had a friend. She was almost a girlfriend, but I would call her more of a friend. I think she would agree with that. As we were talking one day, she said, Bill, you might have a girlfriend, but flying is your mistress. She said, over your bed on the ceiling, you probably have a picture of an airplane instead of a woman. I thought, I'll buy that. <laughs> I'm not talking about what's in my bedroom. <laughs> Flying was my passion. I would fly six and a half days a week. I took off for church. And some days I would leave 11 o'clock at night from the airport. I'm so glad to be out of that airplane. And by 7 o'clock the next morning I'm waking up. I can't wait to get back in that airplane. I mean, I, you could put me in an airplane blindfolded. I can smell it. I know it's an airplane. Put me on a sunny day. Put me in storms. I don't care. Put me in an airplane. That was my dream. And I went to school for that. And I got hired by Continental Airlines with an incredibly low amount of hours because I was a good pilot. And the waiting list, you go into a pilot pool, and it was like, you know, a couple of years. They were going to send me to Newark and a lot of things. That I thought, 
With my background, I'll just build my own airline. I know it might sound arrogant to you, but it made perfect sense to me. And I got all the funding and backing for it. And I spent the next two years building an airline. Which for a long story that doesn't need to be here, uh, was blocked from getting off the ground, no pun intended. And I gave up my slot with Continental to do that. I gave up my dream. I, I forfeited. And my heart was broken like I cannot tell you. It was a death for me. It was a death I took years to get over. It was anger with me and God. Because I felt like he gave me the dream. I felt like he gave me, spoke it into me. Why do you give me something? Make it successful and then take it away from me. What's wrong with you? Have you ever said that to God? What is wrong with you? And I wound up, after building an airplane, raising millions of dollars, working in a machine shop, washing parts for minimum wage to pay my bills. And you question your gifts, your callings, your abilities, your wasted time, your wasted money. And in that very machine shop, there was a small Bible study of five or six people, and they asked me to join. And I asked some other people to join, and because I have, at least they felt like some sort of a gift of sharing, they put me in charge of sharing, and the group grew and grew and grew. And in the next six or eight months, it grew to 90 to 100 people. Every day at lunch, instead of having lunch, we had church. It was amazing. It was powerful. People were being healed. People were being set free. And we had this whole machine shop. They had to give us the conference room, and then we outgrew the conference room. And the company was providing a place for us to meet. They called it Baker Church. See, God was still using me. Last week, I flew to Mexico City, and I was talking to a captain of a plane as we were walking to the flight. And what hit me most powerfully, I did not want to be him. I did not want to trade this church for his Airbus. And it caught me off guard. Flying is no longer my mistress. It's still a passion. I love flying. But you see, when I drive an airplane, I'm sitting next to one person. And I land it. And all the people get off. And you don't really get to talk to them. And you work about 15 days a month, and you're off about 15 days a month. And I would see myself on these 15 days I'm off doing all the things that I want to do with God, trying to get them done so I can go back and do my job to come back to that 15 days. And I thought, I get to have 30. 
I don't have to take 15 days out of my God stuff to go drive an airplane. That's the way it was in my head. You see, God knows and understands your wants, your needs, your passions. But if you will walk with him and you are willing to take your time and make it his time, he will make your life work. If you will trust him with your passions, your hopes, your dreams, your desires, your goals, bring them in. Understand, your time is limited. Give him the power to step into your time with the things that you want to do these nine lifetimes you want to get done in yours. You want to be an astronaut, a policeman, a whatever you want to be, all of them. I know there are some in here like that. God can make your time work. He can make your time work. If you sit back and say, I just don't have time. Do you know there's something fundamentally and spiritually wrong with that statement? I mean, if there's ever anybody guilty of making that statement, it's me. But God would say, how is that possible? I created the time, I put you in it. You tell me what's wrong with what I've done. What's wrong with our time is that we haven't made God Lord of it. I don't know how he will work your priorities of family and work and, and some kind of life that gives you downtime. I don't know. Part of me doesn't care. But I believe God has the power to do that. But if we don't, you're going to spend all of your time doing stuff. And you're going to find at the end, you're left with little more than the bags of gold you started with. And you're going to find, how is it I worked all my life? I, I pushed all my life. I was a little bit behind all my life. And at the end, I had so little eternity to show for it. How much eternity do you or I have to really show for our years? You know, I, I don't really have much gray hair. You know, people make comments about that, but I'll tell you my thought. I feel like I've earned more gray hair than I have. I feel like I've put in the work for it. Your time is not only the most valuable thing you have, it's the crucible of your life. It's the place where your life will be revealed. It's a place where your life will be known and understood for what it produced and what it is. Time is where it's going to happen or where it's not going to happen. We waste our time in relationships we shouldn't be in. We waste our time sometimes in jobs we shouldn't be in. We waste our time sometimes in ministries we shouldn't be in. We waste time sometimes When I took over the youth group at Houston, uh, I kept hearing about this guy that went to the Kingwood Vineyard, a, uh, a teenager. He was a football star. 
uh, Kingwood High School, which they had a very competitive team, at least then. And he was going to be coming back to the Houston Vineyard. And uh, I kept hearing about him, about how righteous he was. Now, let me tell you, it's not often that you hear from teenagers about how righteous a teenager is. Teenagers did the whole talk like that. So we have this group, and I'm teaching this group, and this is kind of a, you know, they were pretty lame then. And, uh, and so there was a guy, and he questions me. He kind of challenges something I say. And I'm looking at him, I can tell he's really challenging me. He really wants to engage in this challenge. So he's not just, you know, being a typical teenager. And so, and so I look at him, and I realize this must be the guy. I said, you're the one, aren't you? You're the righteous one. That's what they called him. Isn't that crazy? Somebody would call a fellow teenager the righteous one. Nobody in my school ever called me the righteous one. People still don't call me the righteous one. And he smiled. You know, he was everything they said he was. And I kind of became his mentor. And he quit uh, football. And he's a star on the team. I asked him, do you like football? He said, oh, I love football. Why'd you quit? I, I just don't think it's the priority God has right now. Really. Who talks like that? Who thinks like that? What 16-year-old does? What 60-year-old does? It's someone whose time is in the hands of God. They're thinking different than you and I. We notice it right away, don't we? We hear it and go, wow, that sounds bizarre. His mother was so disappointed. You're a football star. felt like that wasn't the priority God had for his time. Football wasn't bad. It wasn't evil. He didn't think anybody else should necessarily quit. He saw that as his priority in that time. He was a powerful, powerful influence. Not only among teens, but among adults. He was powerfully influenced, influencing everywhere he and he was actually pretty normal. He was kind of goofy. He was actually very goofy. I think I shared this with you one time. Him and another guy prayed for this guy for his leg. Maybe I need to get him to pray for my leg. And, and this guy was healed. He was an adult. And, then, and I'm watching this, and like 10 minutes later, these two guys that prayed for him, they're like this. Like they had a stroke or something. The kind of head is laying to the side. I'm like, what are you doing? We're having a drooling contest. They're seeing who could drool the fastest. Yeah, really. Praying for the sick, they're being healed, drooling contest, 10 minutes apart. That sounds pretty normal, doesn't it? Well, it could be bookends of normal. Maybe normal is somewhere in the middle. I don't know. He was a teenager, but he knew God, and he knows his time is really important. 
important to God. It's important to the world. It's important to the, to the sphere he lives in. And so it's important to him. Winky Prattney was a Christian in a high school in New Zealand, made straight A's, got to his senior year, had a lot of things going on with regard to influencing students. And he got to the end of his senior year, he felt like he wasn't finished. So he decided he was going to take his senior year over. And he did. School didn't know quite what to do with him. He said, I'm going to repeat my senior year. And he repeated his senior year. Who thinks like that? Who does that? You know, your seniors, you got senioritis, you are dying to get out of school. I mean, like three months before the end of school, you're skipping everywhere you can. You're doing everything you can to shed yourself of this. But you see, Pratney saw this as his moment. He was engaged in his time, had value for the kingdom. And that was more important than the priority that we normally understand, that he's got straight A's and could make it into a really good college. Because your time is limited. Even right now, you know, I'm burning your minutes. I am going over. <clears throat> Matthew 16. What good will it be? To, uh, verse... Uh, 27, 26 and 27. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Let me put that differently. What good will it be for you to accomplish so many things in this world but not accomplish the things for which you were created? Or what can anyone give in exchange for that? But can you trade for your purpose? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. In 1954, a speech to the Second Assembly of the World Council of Churches Former President Dwight D. Eisenhower, uh, who was quoting, he was a guy from uh, Northwest University, said this. I have two kinds of problems, the urgent and the important. The urgent are not important, and the important are never urgent. This Eisenhower principle, it came to be known as the Eisenhower principle, is said to be how he organized his workload and his priorities. So I'm going to give you kind of a God twist to those. So important would be activities, and that can be internal, external, having an outcome that leads to our achieving the purpose and potential for which you were created. That's important. Urgent. Activities demanding immediate attention, usually associated with achieving priorities, Values and needs of this world. 
they're often the ones we concentrate on and they demand attention because the consequences of not dealing with them are immediate. That's the urgent. Everybody has that scenario and God is aware. It's not like he created us and then this happened in the 2000s and now you're working in a system that God's system won't fit. You see, for the man who had the one bag of gold, he buried it and he carried on his life. Do you know, these guys with the gold, where they invested it, it takes time to do that. They weren't paid to do that. He gave them this gold and he said, take care of this for me. He didn't even say invest it. He said, take care of this. And they put it to work. But that took time. It takes work. It takes effort. It takes risk. It takes all of those things. You see, it wasn't just they could take this gold and set it in this place and it do make money. But they worked that money. They spent time on that portfolio and they worked it to produce the very best they could get out of it. And they doubled the money. They weren't paid for that. They had to still live their life. They had to make their own money. They had to raise their own kids. They had to have their own passions, their own dreams. They had to live their fullness of life. And they, what? they had no idea when the master was going to come back. You see how that was important, but it wasn't urgent. He might be 10 years. He might be 50 years. He might die before he comes back. But you see, it was important. But that man, those men had urgencies. They had things that could pull them away from taking care of what was entrusted to them. But they took the time out of their life. They had to deal with the priorities of life and they had to produce that for which they were entrusted with. You see how that's different? The other person just lived his life. Here's a chart. And you can find a million of these on the internet. But what it really does is kind of sets up how you can see things can be urgent and important. But they can be urgent and not important. And they can be important and not urgent. And you're going to find the important things of God never quite seem urgent. You see, for me to read my Bible every day, for that to be important and powerful and a discipline I want to do, if I don't read it, is God going to kill me? No, he's not. Is he going to be mad at me? No. Is he going to curse me? No. If I tell a lie today, is he going to kill me? No. Is he going to be mad at me? I don't think so. What makes those things urgent then? Because they're important. It's because they're important. Why should we address them today? Why should you care about it today? It's because it's important. 
because you're not given a deadline, because you don't know when those days that you've been assigned are finished, it feels like the things of God are not important. And so the things of today will always squander the things of God. Always. For me too. It's not different for any of us. You know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a pastor here. People think I might sit around and just think about the Bible or about God or, you know, praying and interceding. And my day is a lot like yours. I fight fires and I get frustrated and I go backwards as much as forward and I blow deadlines. And I have conflicting priorities. So the truth is, time is impossible. I've come to that conclusion. <clears throat> Jesus knew that, and so he addresses that in this very statement. In this next statement. Time is impossible. In Mark 10, 27, it's also in Matthew, Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. but not with God. All things are possible with God. God has a measure of value. Matthew 16, 27, we read that before. 26 and 27. What God, <clears throat> what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit? their soul. You could stand. <clears throat>